Today's scripture passage comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 31. I will read it out and you can follow along as I read. This is the word of the Lord. For just as a body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. Let's, uh, let's begin with a word of prayer. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this time. And uh, uh, we, we pray, God, that uh, we know that you're a God who speaks. And oftentimes, uh, maybe the problem is with us that we just don't have ears to hear and hearts ready and willing to, to receive the things that you have to say. Um, but God, even that is something that we can't generate within ourselves or change within ourselves, but uh, it's something that uh, you have to do for us um, by way of your Holy Spirit, that you have to touch our hearts and uh, give us um, an insight or something that intrigues our hearts and draws us near to you and opens up our minds and our, our wills and uh, our desires to you. And your word is powerful, your spirit is powerful, and as the two work together, uh, we know that you are able to um, transform our hearts and fill us with joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, if you're joining us for the first time, we are going through a series on the Holy Spirit, and we are spending a season uh, pursuing the person of the Holy Spirit. So in the Christian faith, we worship a triune God, and part of that is a mystery, but that means that we worship one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And uh, the third person of the, uh, the Trinity is uh, mysterious to us sometimes and uh, in certain traditions and i would say even in our tradition we don't really give much emphasis to the person of the holy spirit and if we don't do that there is probably something lacking in our faith something lacking in our christian practice something lacking in how we uh, do church and serve the world in mission and those kinds of things so we are spending a lengthy season uh, pursuing the person of the holy spirit and uh, we're kind of like in a sub-series of this series by looking at the topic of spiritual gifts 
And the way we're doing that is we're going through 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14. And what that's going to do is that's going to take us towards the Easter season, where we'll then look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is about the resurrection. So that's the plan until Easter. Now, as we started talking about spiritual gifts last week, the basic point and the basic framework that uh, I wanted us to have as we think about this topic of spiritual gifts is this. God is the giver of gifts. And it was simply that. And I know that sounds like a simple point, but if we don't understand that point, then we're going to turn spiritual gifts in a way that uh, they're not meant to be, that God did not design them to be. Uh, we're going to use spiritual gifts not as something to be received, not as something to be stewarded, not as something to reflect uh, glory back to God and to worship Him, but we're going to use spiritual gifts as a means to build ourselves up, to achieve status for ourselves, to make a name for ourselves. And I said, if you observe children, you see this all the time. Uh, they will often take what has been given to them by no merit of their own, and they will use that thing to show their superi superiority to other kids. You know, in my household, uh, you know, I, I regret this, but we bought uh, those like plastic cups from Ikea, like those kids cups, and those cups come in like many different colors. They're not just one color. So you know what ends up happening, right? I give my kids uh, some water or some milk or a beverage, and I give one kid a red cup, and I give one kid a green cup, and the kid with the red cup, you know, I guess red is a cooler color, and they say, aha, I got the red cup and you got the green cup, and they use something as simple as that, something that was given to them by, you know, no merit of their own as a way to demonstrate superiority to the other child. Uh, I think we face that, even though uh, we can probably cover it up better, but we oftentimes do that with the things that we have been given as well. And in our hearts, in our heart of hearts, we use those gifts that God has given us to feel superior to others. Or even if we uh, maybe we're on the other side of it, we uh, those gifts that we lack, we feel inferior to other people and we have this kind of complex. Uh, now, I know many people, many of you work really hard because New York City is uh, a culture of uh, work, overwork. So many of you, uh, I'm assuming, have worked really hard for what you have, and maybe it's a little bit hard to see the things that you have right now as a gift. But I think if, um, and you know, there's this truth to that, you probably did earn a certain degree of what you have, but if you really think about the course of your life, there was many points where you received something that you probably didn't do anything to earn. So maybe you were born into a family that gave you certain kinds of opportunities. Maybe it was opportunities of education. Maybe uh, you were given certain kind of genes and you were really tall or you were really strong or you were really, um, I don't know, uh, really hardworking or whatever it might be that gets transferred through genes or genetics. Maybe uh, you happen to have a friend who gave you this good connection and your career is where it is because you just had this friend who happened to work in a company and have connections to hook you up. Maybe uh, you were born at just the right time in this century, in this decade, or not this decade, but you know, you're living in this decade and it maximizes your personality or your desires, your drive, your skill, whatever it may be, uh, there is something that you have received. You are at this point because you have been given something that you didn't earn, which means we are all benefactors or uh, we have all benefited from the grace of God to a certain degree. I would even say, uh, even if you are not a Christian believer, you have benefited from the grace of God because there's a theological concept called common grace, where God even gives grace to all people. Uh, the rain 
comes to all people. The sun shines on all people. God shows grace to all people to a certain degree. And so, uh, in our framework, in terms of understanding spiritual gifts, we would say that God has given us certain gifts, and therefore the question is, uh, what are we to do with those gifts? And last week I said we should receive them, we should enjoy them, we should worship God for them, and we should be thankful and have gratitude for these things. Now, the city of Corinth is a city that is very similar to New York City in terms of a lot of its dynamics because it was a city where people cared about things like status. Uh, It was a city where people wanted to position themselves with uh, certain respectable teachers. And even within the church, if certain people had certain kinds of spiritual gifts, they would use that as a way to kind of elevate themselves or their status over other people and give them a sense of greater importance. Uh, If they had the gift of tongue or the gift of prophecy or the gift of healing, you know, those kinds of gifts are, uh, you know, out of the ordinary. And it seems like a pretty, um, like, oh, super spiritual people are the only ones who have these gifts. And so people might be enamored with them and say, oh, they must have more of the Holy Spirit because they have these certain kinds of gifts. Or people who had those certain kind of gifts, they would say, I must be a more spiritual person than other people because I can do these kinds of things. And what Paul is doing in this section, he's basically giving a correction and he's saying this, nobody should boast in the gifts that they have because at the end of the day, they are a gift of God. Nobody should divide the church on account of spiritual gifts because what the Spirit wants is greater unity. What the Spirit wants is that you use those gifts for the common good to serve and build up the body of Christ, which is the church. And so the gifts of the Spirit are diverse. There's many different ones but they all come from the same God. They all have the same source, and they are all empowered by the same Spirit. That's a summary of last week. Today, we are going to continue to look at the dynamics of community with respect to spiritual gifts, and uh, we're just going to focus on a simple word that I think encapsulates what this passage is saying, and that word is this, interdependence. Okay? Interdependence. You see the idea of interdependence when Paul says, starting in verse 15, if the, if the foot, you know, I put a typo in my notes. I, said, I wrote food, but it should say foot. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? And Paul is basically saying this. If you think about a physical body, uh, all the individual members make up the body, but the entire body needs every part. Every part is dependent and reliant upon one another. Now, interdependence doesn't just mean this. It doesn't mean, yeah, it would be nice if we had uh, certain people in our lives and people with certain kinds of gifts in our lives. Interdependence means much more than that. Interdependence means this. We actually need people in our lives or else we won't be made whole. We need people with certain gifts in our lives or there is going to be something incomplete about our lives. And I think that's going to be a challenge for us for a couple of reasons. Uh, You know, first, as a culture, we are getting to become much more individualistic and much more autonomous in the way we live lives. Uh, You know, I was reading something about um, this, like, famous uh, celebrity um, female, and she just had a baby. 
And she was just kind of saying uh, the enormous amount of pressure she felt that uh, she had to do everything and she had to keep up with everything. So she felt the pressure to be the best, best mother she could be, uh, but she also had a flourishing career. So she felt the pressure to kind of maintain and grow that career and kind of continue on that trajectory. Uh, she also felt the pressure to maintain her outward appearance, her physical beauty. Uh, she felt pressure to be this uh, great friend that she had been and to continue to be that kind of friend. And all of these things, she just felt all of this pressure. And I think maybe a lot of people can relate to that kind of pressure because it comes from this notion that I have to somehow do everything and be everything all on my own. I will say for myself too, I confess as a pastor, sometimes I feel that pressure. Um, sometimes I feel like, uh, you know, I've shared at times where I've struggled because I see uh, so many of the things that I am not good at and so many holes in my leadership where sometimes I do feel like, uh, am I holding the church back? And uh, sometimes that kind of pressure comes from a place where uh, maybe, I, you know, I feel like I'm supposed to do it all or I'm supposed to be able to do it all. And that's not how God designed us. Uh, God did not design us to be complete in and of ourselves, but we are simply one part of a greater body, and we need to depend upon others if we are going to achieve a greater sense of wholeness in terms of who we are and who God created us to be. The second reason why interdependence is going to be a challenge is uh, I think we tend to place value on most things. So uh, when a church says something like this, Actually, maybe you wouldn't say it, but maybe you would think it. And you might think, well, there's certain kind of gifts that are much more uh, central or crucial or much more important to, uh, to the church. So you might think, well, somebody who's good at teaching or somebody who has leadership gifts, uh, you know, they're much more important and much more valuable to the church. Or you might say, well, the, the kinds of people who have good uh, intellectual gifts or the kinds of people who have prophetic gifts or people who have healing gifts those people are much more important and valuable to the church. And when we assign value to a gift that God has given us, uh, implicitly where we're going to go with that and what we're going to say is that therefore some people are more indispensable to the church than others. But that's not what Paul is saying, right? That's not what he's saying. If you are someone who happens to have the kinds of gifts that are assigned greater value, Uh, the temptation and the danger is going to be that you are going to feel maybe more important than others. Now, here's my guess. In our context, in our community, I don't think it would come out in an arrogant way. I don't see anybody here saying, I have this gift. I must be so important to Good News Church. I don't think anybody's going to say that here, but here's how it might come out in a a slightly subtle way. Uh, You might feel this like really heavy burden that uh, it's all on you, and if you don't do what you're supposed to do, then everything is kind of going to crumble. So you kind of feel indispensable to, to the church. Um, that's why uh, sabbatical, oh, you know, we're going to talk about my sabbatical in the congregational meeting, but that's why sabbaticals are good because for the person taking the sabbatical and our two elders have taken sabbaticals, it's kind of good to realize uh, it's not all on you, but there is a wider body. And at the end of the day, the church is um, dependent upon the gifts of the many and not the few. Now, if you are someone who maybe uh, you don't, Uh, feel like you have those kinds of gifts that are assigned greater value, then you might think that your presence is not that important in the church. You might think your community participation is not that important and your service is not that important. So the way that comes up is like this. You say, well, I could serve and I could get involved, but looking at my schedule, I'm pretty tired, I'm pretty busy, and uh, 
I'm not sure if I can really uh, fit it in. And like you're on the fence about whether to serve or to show up to something. And here's what, you, you, what you conclude. You say, well, nobody's going to miss me, right? I'm not that important. And maybe you do something else. Well, you actually are that important, right? Your presence is that important because one of the things that Paul says is that God has given everybody a gift. And therefore, your presence, your exercise of gifts are indispensable to the body. Uh, you know, conversely, actually, you might think that um, your presence doesn't matter, but I would even take it a step further and say you can actually hurt the body when you don't use the gifts that God has given you. Uh, think about our human anatomy. Our body is very interconnected in many ways. Uh, I learned this uh, through an injury I had, you know, many years ago. Uh, I think I was, I was a seminary student and I was uh, playing in a so church softball tournament. And I'm not great at softball, right? I just played because they needed the numbers. So I'm like, so I, you know, I hit the ball, I run, and I think I'm, I'm running to third base and I'm supposed to slide, but I'm wearing shorts. So I don't really want to like, you know, slide and like skid my legs. So I stick my arm out and I land on my arm and my arm, you know, goes back and I hurt my shoulder. And uh, <clears throat> because I was in, I didn't have health insurance at the time, so I didn't actually see a doctor. So I went home and I kind of made this like uh, little sling. I <laughs> just like, right, I went like this. And I was young, so I was like, oh, I'm gonna heal. But you know, uh, a few years later, I, I started to have like, you know, some really annoying physical issues. So my neck would have a lot of pain and my back would have a lot of pain. And I remember there were moments where my neck would just kind of lock up and I would be lying on the floor and I couldn't move. And the person I lived with would walk in and see me on the floor. He's like, what are you doing on the floor? Like, I can't move. <laughs> so it would get that bad. So uh, finally, I got some health insurance and I saw a doctor and I started going to physical therapy. And you know what the physical therapist said? The physical therapist said, well, the reason you're having all these issues with your body is probably related to your shoulder injury. By the way, in my shoulder injury, I got a, I think it's called an MRI. Uh, I tore my rotator cuff and labrum. So... Uh, the physical therapist would say, well, because of that injury, because your rotator cuff muscles are not doing what they're supposed to do, all of your other muscles are overcompensating, and that's what's causing you that physical pain. I thought about that, and I think that's actually a perfect way to understand or illustrate this point. If God has given you, you specifically, a particular gift to use to build up the body, and if you are not using those gifts, somebody else who does not have that function or those gifts is probably going to be uh, doing it, and uh, they're going to be overcompensating and doing something and struggling with it because they haven't been given those gifts, and the overall body ceases to be as healthy as it could be. Uh, I don't know if this is what you think. I guess I assumed you didn't think this, but then I was, you know, talking to uh, Peter and Fred, and uh, you know, maybe this is something that people would think. Um, you know, church is not built upon clergy, right? I'm not the most important person in this church. I hope you, I hope you understand that. That uh, church community, and because we are a smaller church, um, it, you know, just by kind of virtue of being small, uh, everybody is doing their part. And everybody is uh, contributing because we can't function or run if everybody is not functioning. And we are not a, a staff-driven church. But I hope you realize that just because I'm the person up here um, teaching and preaching, it's not what makes me the most important person in this body. I just have one gift, right? One gift that God has given me, and that gift 
happens to be teaching and I'm trying to steward it and be faithful with it and serve the body through it. And many of you, God has given gifts to serve the body. And I think um, when you use those gifts to serve the body, you actually will feel much more um, whole, okay? You will feel much more whole. That's not to say it will be easy, right? There's going to be struggles. There's up and down. There's times where you don't want to use those gifts. But overall, when you're doing what God has created you to do, when you do the works that God has prepared for you to do beforehand, I do think you will feel a sense of wholeness. Now, maybe we think uh, it's, it's just the mature believers or uh, maybe it's the pastors, the leaders who are the most qualified to serve, but that's not what Paul is saying here. He's saying, by virtue of just being a believer, you have the Holy Spirit within you and the Holy Spirit dwells in you. And because the Holy Spirit dwells in you, the Holy Spirit is a giver of good gifts and he has given you certain gifts to serve the body. Maybe it's a gift of hospitality and you're the kind of person where you just automatically make people um, who tend to be on the outside or the fringe of a community or uh, um, visitors, maybe you make them feel really welcome and connected right away. Um, maybe you have uh, the gift of healing and when you pray for people, God just heals people, right? Uh, whatever it is, uh, God is calling you to try to exercise those gifts. Now, I was, uh, some of you know who Pastor John is. Pastor John is uh, the guy who uh, uh, started this church as the pastor. He preceded me. And I saw him a lot this week. <laughs> the reason I saw him a lot, uh, you know, he works as an upper school head at Geneva. So he called me this week and asked if I could sub for a sick teacher. And then, um, uh, you know, he's kind of like my mentor, but he's transferring into the denomination that I'm a part of. So to transfer into the denomination, you have to be examined. And they picked me to be his examiner. So that was like, that was kind of fun. So I, I was this theological examiner. But anyway, I saw him a lot this week and, you know, we're just kind of talking and he just like has these like, you know, spiritual insights sometimes that he says in passing. And then uh, I just like, oh, that was, a, that was pretty insightful. And one of the things he says is this, he said, um, even when it comes to uh, the spiritual realm, the, the unseen realm, the non-material realm, uh, there is interdependence there. You know, if you think about it, if you're struggling with something, if you're struggling with sin, if you're struggling with a certain circumstance in your life, uh, because we're such autonomous people, maybe our first inclination is to say, well, I just need to pray about it myself, right? And then we don't ask other people to pray. But he was saying that uh, because the body is so interdependent, it actually might be that another person has to pray for you in order for God to, um, to answer that prayer. And I was like, oh, I never thought about it like that before. But it could even be the same dynamic in the spiritual realm. If you are struggling with something, if something, and you kind of say, eh, I don't want to burden other people with it, that's not how God designed us, right? He designed us to burden other people with it. We are supposed to carry one another's burden because, not because we are strong in and of ourselves, but because we trust that God has disseminated a variety of gifts to all his people, right? To the church. And so, um, I don't know if this is, like many of, many of us are, uh, come from Asian cultures. I don't know if this is an Asian thing of, oh, I don't want to bother the person. I don't know if it's a Western, like individualistic thing of, oh, I just want to keep it to myself. But that is not how God created us. Community doesn't mean being alone together, which is a lot of times how we practice community. Community actually means 
relying upon one another, depending upon another person, burdening one another, and carrying one another's burdens. Because the reality is, God may have prepared for you to be a particular encouragement to a particular person. God may have uh, given you uh, the gifts or the personality to, uh, to even correct and rebuke in a gentle way that will be received without judgment. Whatever it is, think about this, we are created to be interdependent. Now, in verse 28, it says this, uh, God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles and gifts of healing, helping, administrating various kinds of tongues. And uh, maybe you read that and you kind of say, well, doesn't that contradict what you just said? But I don't think uh, first means first in terms of importance. Uh, I just think he means first in terms of chronology, in terms of the way God has built the church. The way God built the church is on the foundation of the apostolic witness, which basically means it was based on the message that they preached, the message of the gospel. And today there are a variety of gifts, and some of those gifts are listed here. And this list I don't think is meant to be exhausted, exhaustive, uh, but I think it's just simply meant to show the basic point that there are a variety of gifts that God has given to the church. Now, I thought about this. I wonder, um, you know, because again, by virtue of being a smaller church, I think most people here are probably serving in some capacity. But I wonder what the percentage would be of believers, uh, what per the percentage would be of believers who are using their gifts that God has given them for the work of service uh, all across New York City. Um, you know, in New York, I'm going to guess that percentage is probably on the lower end because there are probably a lot of people, um, you know, and this is like a cultural, a Christian cultural thing, but you, there's a lot of people who look at the church as a commodity to be used rather than a body to belong to and a body to serve in. And, but what if that weren't the case, right? What if uh, close to 100% of the body of Christ in New York City were using the gifts that God has given them for the specific work of ministry that God is calling them to do? Can you imagine what would happen? That would be amazing <laughs> that would be amazing not only would the body be healthier but i do think ministry would be vibrant uh, i do think even everybody would probably be much happier because they're doing the very thing that god created them to be there would be a sense of purpose there would be a sense of meaning there would be a sense of call now i think we all want to feel useful and when you are serving the body and doing what god has gifted you to do uh, you're going to feel that sense of wholeness and not only that but other members of the body won't be discouraged because they won't be called to do something that they are not gifted to do. And they won't be an eye that is trying to hear because God created them to be an eye and to see. Now, a common question people have is this. I'm anticipating uh, a question you might have at this point. Okay, well, maybe I want to serve, but how do I discover what my spiritual gifts are? Uh, assuming you have the heart to serve, Assuming you believe that God has prepared works for you to do ahead of time, how do you know what kind of things you should be doing? Um, I think the answer is not rocket science. I think you just got to test it out. <laughs> you just got to serve and do it and try it out. Um, I think, you know, we, we probably focus uh, so much on spiritual gifts and like what spiritual gifts we have. But as what we're going to see, and you see a hint of it at the end of the passage, but we're going to see in 1 Corinthians 13, the emphasis is actually not on the spiritual gifts we possess. The emphasis is actually on love, right? At the end of the passage, Paul says, I will, I will show you a still more excellent way. 
And then he gets into that 1 Corinthians 13 passage that is so popular at weddings, but it's not really about marriage. And he talks about love. So in my opinion, the better question is perhaps not to ask, how do I discover my spiritual gifts? Although that's a legitimate question. Maybe a better question to ask is this. Do I have love for others? And if I don't, how do I grow in that love for others? Because I think if we can answer that question, then the spiritual gift question will probably, um, at least to a certain degree, take care of itself. Do I have love? Now, we're going to talk about the importance of love next week when we look at uh, chapter 13. But I do want to spend a few moments reflecting on love. Uh, You know, when my wife and I got married, uh, what it meant was that two individuals were coming together to be united as one. But when you get two individuals coming together to be united as one, that can be a tumultuous experience, right? You have two sets of values, two sets of desires, two sets of histories, two sets of dreams of what the future should look like. And now you're taking these two individuals and you're bringing them together as one. And, you know, in the beginning, you have a lot of conflict because of that. You have a different way of, you know, setting up the, uh, this is a legitimate conflict, but you have a different understanding of how should the toilet paper go on the roll, right? Should it roll this way or should it roll this way? Right? And you kind of have all these different uh, debates and disagreements and arguments about a lot of things. And of course, that's a, a minor one, but you have financial disagreements. You have uh, disagreements about you know, how, to, how often you should visit uh, in-laws and family and, and those kinds of things. Where you should live, what kind of apartment you should have, whatever it is. And uh, because of that, in the beginning, the differences become a source of challenge, of hardship, of conflict. But I would say over time, um, as you kind of get over some of those differences and as you start to grow together, what ends up happening over time is you begin to appreciate some of the differences between uh, you and your spouse, right? So I think that happened with us. Uh, My wife and I are very different people, very different personalities. But over time, you know, I hear her voice in my head for a lot of things now. So uh, I don't have just my voice, but I have her voice and I hope... Uh, I hope it's reciprocated, especially when she does online shopping and uh, she hears my voice saying, do we need that? Do we really need that? And uh, I hope she appreciates that as well, right? But, you know, it's hard to get to that point. It it just takes time. Uh, I think there's a study that says uh, in your first five years of marriage, you're actually unhappier than you were when you were a single person. But then after five years, you become happier than you were as a single person. And a lot of divorce takes place actually within those first five years. Uh, diversity for all you know our culture says oh we love diversity but uh, I think we look at diversity from a consumeristic perspective so when people say I like diversity they're usually saying oh I like Asian food right I like Indian food and that's what it means to like diversity diversity is hard okay Uh, especially when you want diversity in unity different perspectives different point of views are valuable super valuable Different personalities, different values, different lifestyles, different gifts, they are super valuable. And we have to get to a point where we appreciate those valuable, like why it's valuable to us. But in the beginning, this is probably going to cause conflict. In the beginning, it might be uh, a little bit annoying to us. And I think the temptation is going to be to withdraw, to avoid people, to cut people off because the way they think is just so different. And that's how we end up in like these siloed little tribes where we just hang out with people who are just like us. 
That's why love is so important because love is like the glue that holds people together so that when there is conflict, when there is you know, people rubbing against each other and uh, when people butting heads and those kind of things, you need that love to keep people together to get to a point where you have genuine unity and you can appreciate the differences and the gifts of other people. That's why love is so important. How do we get love? Um, I don't think love is something that we can really generate within ourselves. I think love itself is a gift that has to be given to us. And the reason why we can be confident that God wants to give us an abundance of gifts is because he has given us the greatest gift of all in his love. He has given us his son. That's why Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? When we say that God is gracious, well, what are we saying? We are saying that God, in his character, in his nature, he is one who is not looking to take from us, but he is one who wants to give and give and give. And in perhaps the greatest gift that he has given to us, he has given us life, he has given us security, he has given us joy, he has given us peace, he has given us love through the death of his son. What did Jesus accomplish on the cross? You think about this dynamic of unity and diversity. Is there a greater difference between a God who is holy and we? Broken, sinful, rebellious at times, weak? Think about that gap. You know how we bridged that gap and brought that gap together in union? Through the cross, right? Through the cross. This union is not an illustration for our marriage, but it's actually the opposite. Marriage is supposed to be an illustration of this great union, this spiritual reality. And, you know, the illustration breaks apart because uh, in marriage, both people are sinners, but when you think about God's love for us and consider God's love for us, we actually had nothing to offer to him. He had everything to offer to us, and he had everything to lose. We had everything to gain, and he did that for us. Why? Why would the Father give up his only begotten Son to this horrific death upon a cross? Love. Why would he love us? That, friends, is a mystery. And if there was a reason for that, then we would probably say that, um, you know, it wouldn't be gracious, but there would be some kind of merit behind it that he loves us because we are X, Y, and Z. But because there is mystery of it, because we don't understand how he could love us, there's a purity to it. There's a graciousness behind it. Why did God do that for us? Love. Do you know how we grow in love? We have to receive God's love. We have to experience God's love. We have to be filled and captivated with God's love. You know, even on a human level, social scientists will often say this, uh, as they study young children, they will say that if a child is born into an environment where they are never held, where they are never cared for, where they are never loved, as they grow up, they actually have a hard time showing love to others. Those who live in isolation from others and never receive love from a community or love from a family or love from people, you know, they're going to tend to be a, a bit hardened in their heart and jaded, and they will have a hard time loving others. Even on a human level, we see that dynamic at work. 
I don't think we will ourselves to love, but love is something that we have to receive and experience first, and as we receive and experience it, then we have the capacity to love others. And if you are somebody maybe who had that kind of childhood and did not receive that much love, are you hopeless? Absolutely not. Do you know why? Because as important as these kinds of loves are, there is a greater love offered to us by the very one who personifies love itself. God is love. God offers us his love, and that love will cover a multitude of sin. And that love, once we experience it, see it, when we meet him in it, when we are captivated by it, when our hearts are touched by it, when we recognize that it's nothing that we earn, but something that is freely given to us, when we realize the power of it, that is when our hearts will begin to have this desire to love others. Not out of compulsion, right? Not out of force. Not out of, oh, I gotta do my duty and love this person. But a level higher than that. I've been so touched by a love that is so great that I want to share this love with others. As we think about our gifts and using our spiritual gifts, we've got to start with the grace of God that God has given us gifts, and we've got to move towards the love of God that God has loved us enough so that we can love others with our gifts, and He has given us that capacity. Let's pray together.